Okay, I'm um, sure too on uh, practical issues of Kibbutz aim for parents and adult children. The parents involved are adults also. Um, but I want to I want to reemphasize the disclaimer that the purpose is not to provide a practical guideline for how to. Kibbutz, you don't have uh, practical guideline for how to raise children. Um, and um, we're talking about values conflicts, so. Values conflicts to a certain extent are inevitable and to a certain extent are bidi evid. And then a, really a third question I think is really important in this context is um, what's the role of law in dealing with, with values conflicts among people? Uh, there are certain circumstances in which you can say, okay, right, the two of us have a values conflict about what to do about you know, the lawn between our properties or something like that. So we can, right, so we, and we have a shared value in a certain sense of the authority of law. So one of us can sue the other, and since we'll both and we'll both agree, eventually to uh, right, to, accept, to to do whatever the court tells us, uh, whatever the court tells us to do. But that you know that that a that doesn't that's not like a a great way of dealing with the human relationships involved. Right? If your goal is to maintain a relationship, so sometimes the way to settle a conflict is to get a third party to just tell you what to do, and you have to force it. But not necessarily. It's not necessarily a good thing, um, and it only works if both of you agree on right on the decision procedure, um, who the third party is, and their capacity to enforce it. So when you have a country with a court system, then it's pretty clear. Right, so we we pretty much have a default setting about how to handle it. But when you deal with a halachic system, where often uh, often value systems are embodied in where, what people see as valid sources of authority. Uh, right, the values conflict means that we're not going to, we're not going to both agree that, we should, that, right, that going to a POSIC is the right way to settle this, or even if we agree that going to a POSIC is the right way to settle this, both of us think that. Right? Often one of us will think that, one of them not. That's a very common form of values conflict. We might not agree on which POSIC. So, right, so you can't settle the issue between two people by appealing to halacha. What Allah can do at most is tell, right, is tell you what to do in circumstances like this. As I want to be clear on that, right, it's not, we're not, not trying to provide a guideline uh, right, of, how, right, of how the law would settle these kinds of disputes among people and trying to figure out when you're in this kind of issue, right, what are your obligations? Right, what, are, what are the ways you should think through it? And obviously, a law, as in all circumstances, has at least those two functions. One is to tell you how to think through situations before it comes to the point of conflict, and the other is how to tell you, right, is how to tell you once it has come to the point of conflict. Okay, two other, um, two other uh, framing uh, points at the outset. We set up in the first week of this, and that's gonna inform us all the way through, that there are at least three really different models uh, for thinking about Kibbutz aim. One of them, which I call the Rambam, is a purely formalistic model there are no emotional obligations towards anyone else. The only thing is that one has to behave in a way that maintains another person's social position. It's children towards parents. Right? There's no mention of emotion in the Rambam. There's no, um, there are no substantive obligations directly at all. Right? They're all obligations of service, of playing a certain kind of social role. Uh, second model, which we call the Sefer HaChinuch model, is a gratitude model. You have, right, you have an obligation to feel gratitude and to act as if you feel gratitude. Um, the complication of that is, um, since he acknowledges that the gratitude is not simply for having been brought into the world, but for things your parents have done for you, 
So that gets complicated if you think your parents have, if your feelings about what your parents have done for you are ambivalent. Um, and also, you know, to, are there limits to gratitude? Is unlimited gratitude? The Sefer Chinuch ultimately grounds the relationship to parents in gratitude is a good virtue to inculcate in yourself. All right, so that's a, right, that's a, in itself an interesting way. Right, that the reason, the way you make decisions, if you're thinking in terms of purpose, is what decision that what decision will make me a better person. Um, as opposed to what is the best thing to do uh, for, for the other person. You know, those, those, those often interrelate, but it's important to understand the distinction. And then the third model, uh, which is called the Sefer Charidim, but um, he roots and seems plausibly in the Zohar, uh, is that there is in fact an obligation of love, and the obligation of love generates, which we did not see explicitly in either of the other models, generates an obligation of obedience. Um, and the challenge, of course, always in that is, I can I can mandate I can man, mandating a feeling is always problematic, right? That's the famous dispute about the Haftalariyachakimoch. Can you mandate a feeling? I can sort of say, on the bridge, I can mandate that you try to make yourself feel that way. And in the realm of gratitude, that's not necessarily a bad idea. Right? You know, I know I ought to feel grateful. Is a um, right? Is a I think it's an internally coherent, like it's a, it's a subjectively coherent statement. Right? People can say that to themselves and say, I, I think I ought to feel gratitude, and let me, try and, let me try and work on feeling gratitude. I ought to love. It's a much harder statement. Uh, particularly if it's grounded in a pure abstraction because of, I ought to love them because they brought me into the world. Uh, right? That's a challenging thing. Then the move from, I ought to love, therefore they have power over me and I ought to obey them, that's a much, much harder move and a dangerous one in some ways. And it's also been very complicated by the, um, in modernity by the break between what used to be called parenthood and, what, right, and biological parenthood. Um, right, we ta- where, where we talked about last time, you know, do I have to feel the same feeling of gratitude for the lab technician that I do for, right, that I do for the sperm donor? Let alone for the let, let alone for the egg donor, let alone for the surrogate. Right, how, how, right, how, how does how does how does aim play in, play out if they're rooted in an emotion and that emotion is rooted in something practical and that practical thing is split in all sorts of ways that are previously uh, that are that are unprecedented. So I want to talk about that um, that as well. My what I argued at the end of last year was that it would be a mistake to think that halacha should develop by choosing which of those models to adopt as opposed to by integrating aspects of all those models. There's an element of gratitude, there's an element of love, there's an element of uh, a social performance. And, you know, th- and then we could, you know, we have to figure out to what extent do we integrate those on a communal level and to what extent do we integrate those on an individual subjective level within each relationship. Okay, one more. <laughs> All right, one more introductory framing, uh, which is page one of this Makara set, which is a repeat from last time, uh, which is one of the ways to think about in, the halakha of interactions between parents and children is by framing all the formal obligations that um, children have toward parents. Um, and those, right, the ones that are famous you know, are kibud and yirah, um, right, kibud and the asar hadibrot, and yirah in a different, in different pasuk. We talked about the, the multiple meanings of uh, of each of those that um, that that uh, and 
right? The ira can be fear or awe, and kavod can mean dignity or honor. In in a, in a or, um, each of them can mean reverence. On a pure halachic analysis, it's not clear whether they are just whether they're intended to be wholly distinct things or they're intended to be uh, two words for a right for a complex category. There's also the categories of haka'a and klala, of striking and cursing. And then I pointed out that there's a category which gets much less attention, which is the category of makleh, which is uh, verse 8, which is a lesser version of lekalel. Um, and I think, has, right, I think has, has real significance in a, um, in a halachic context. Now, I didn't create a parallel list of obligations of parents towards children. There are, right, there, there are Mishnayot famously in Kedushin, which lists the obligations of parents, right, of parents towards children, and then subsequent Brito to discuss whether those applications are, are, only, are, are male or female, and both, right, in both, in both directions, which can be understood in multiple ways. Um, saw that one coming. <laughs> even, even planned for it. Um, uh, those obligations are not framed as love. Uh, or as gratitude, um, they're also not framed formally. They're all they're framed substantively. Right? You have to, right? You have to you have to provide your children with certain things. Um, so it's interesting to think about the parallel and the extreme version. Uh, on both ends is uh, Ben Sorera More. Right? Ben Sorera More is is is, uh, is is on the one hand, it seems to state really clearly that there. Are limits to parents' obligations to the point that parents can start, you know, parents can say, "Look, you know what? This is just not worth it to us. We'd rather the person didn't exist." Quite terrifying. Uh, on the other hand, it's um, probably the only um, time where halacha really, um, where, where halacha formally, where halacha informally, often will, and we'll, we may talk about in the third year, will allow the enforceability of kibbutz avaim. But on a formal level, halacha doesn't enforce kibbutz avaim, except in the case of ben sorer Moreh. and the enforcement of ben sorer Moreh is um, extreme, and to some extent, even to, I think you could argue that there are elements of parody in it. Uh, it requires parents to humiliate themselves to such an extent um, in order to make a claim of lack of kavod uh, by publicly acknowledging their failure, by publicly acknowledging their complete failures. And in the end, right? In the end, we you know we say, and by the way, we're never going to do it. So the whole, right, the whole effort at enforcement is futile. So that's all right. So that you know, so I wonder, um, particularly if, as we've hinted at, uh, we hinted at last week, and maybe we'll have time to explore at some point, if you see it in as a contrast to other cultures, which genuinely give the genuinely give parents right of life and death. Um, over right over children. So setting up the one enforceable moment is the one which right, is is one which requires self humiliation, and you don't even do it at the end. Um, right is uh, right is significant, I think, in its own right. Okay, so those are all the those are all the framings. Um, I, the, the first page of McCord is going to talk about the um, from the right from the parents' perspective, what is one supposed to do when there are values conflicts, and the second. Is going to talk about um, from the ch- from the child's perspective. The makar are all based on limits, and I think the conversation we have to have is to what extent do you, you know, do you negotiate these limits against the mitzvot? Right, so end up right, we have a list of we have a list of psukim on page one, and we're going to have a, a whole bunch of limiting texts um, in the rest of this. 
limits limits on what parents ought to on what parents ought to do in terms of seeking to get this right to to um, to gain uh, or to, right to gain submission um, on values conflicts limits on what uh, ways in which children are allowed to say you know your values don't affect me and yet they're all they're all the, they're all these misfit in the background and so we'll have to figure out how we negotiate them sometimes we'll negotiate them. By um, by you know by um, redefining mitzvah, sometimes we we'll negotiate them by saying, well, sometimes you, you, sometimes things really get overridden. You don't have a copy. copy oh, no. oh, okay, and uh, and sometimes and sometimes by saying, you know what, maybe this only applies to some kinds of mitzvah and not others. Okay, and all that can also be done, although it is not done explicitly to my knowledge by any uh, existing halachic analysis in terms of the purposes of the mitzvah. And say, so, in those circumstances, we could say, right, you know, love is not something we could reasonably ask of you. Obedience would be a bad idea. But uh, gratitude is still something that, right, that really applies. Um, maybe these are circumstances where you know what, the social framework is just really not going to work. But the substance, right, because your, parent, because your parents are not the kind of people whom you ought to give that kind of social, uh, social standing to, that doesn't mean that you, don't feel, that you shouldn't feel gratitude. So let's try and figure out what the space is where you can express gratitude in ways that don't have those social implications, um, right, or vice versa. Okay, so let's start with um, right with a fundamental basis, which Rav Yitzchok Barshela said, uh, said Rav Matna said in the name of Rav Chista or Rav Matana, however you want to pronounce that name. Ha'av shemachal al kvodo kvodo machul. Okay, um, parents are capable of forgiving their um, of forgiving their kavod. So we can set up a simple model and say, you know what? The proper thing to do always is for, uh, right after saying Baruch Tarani, or whatever it is, at the Bar Bat Mitzvah, the parents should say, and we hereby forgive all obligations of our children towards us halachically. And now we live in a world of a completely voluntary, a completely voluntary world. Um, and Certainly, you know, you might say, okay, so we, we, we live in a world of adolescence, and so that might be an extreme statement to take at the Bar Bat Mitzvah, but you could certainly say it at your children's wedding. Right? By the way, now, as of now, all such, right, all such obligations are forgiven. Now, why would you not want to do that? Why would you not want to do that? Takes, Takes away their mitzvah. So you're assuming that if, that if you're a mokul, they don't have a mitzvah to do it anyway. Or you're, you're into controlling them. <laughs> well, so right, so you have the negative, you have the positive, right? So the, the negative, is, the neg the negative is, is clear, but maybe there's supposed to be something about that. The positive, so there's a whole debate, right? But generally, generally the achronim are clear that parents who are mokul, their kavod, does not mean that, parents, that, that children don't get a kiyum out of it. And then we can say, ah, but is it a kiyam of mitzvah or is it a kiyam of mitzvah and is there a difference, right? So we can have lots of fun about it. I was prepared for that one too. <laughs> um, is, is, it formal, but is, it, is it clear that a formal declaration is implied in this, I would translate foregoing, as opposed to forgiving, as opposed to on an incident by incident basis, which maybe, you know, as a, as a practical way that all, uh, all of us as parents could imagine, oh, okay, I'm not going to make a, a so, deal that so-and-so didn't call, call me on my birthday. So I didn't say, right, this statement does not say that you ought to be milk your kavod. It just says you can be. Right. So now the question is, right, is there any hint that a formal statement wouldn't work? Right, that's right, right. You know, I'm just saying whether you could. Of course, you could choose to do it on a case-by-case -case basis. And also uh, passively, as opposed to... 
Yeah, so, so we could just say, right, so that's an alternative thing, but I'm just saying there's an extreme version, which maybe should work, or maybe not. Maybe you're only, maybe Mechila works only if you mean it. And maybe it's just not realistic for parents to mean things like that. Parents have expectations of children, they're entitled to have expectations of children, and you can say all you want, you know, that I, I forgive all, my obli- all your obligations to the code, but it's not true. You don't. So right, we don't want to live a lie. Maybe the obligations are that kind of substantive thing that what the Gemara means is if somebody sincerely forgives their things. And this is not one of the areas. Now, halakhically, we have lots of scenarios where we say if you said it, on a formal level, it doesn't matter whether it actually happens, right, whether you mean it or not. But maybe this isn't one of those. Yes, Sarah? So I feel like if my mother were here, yeah. I would say that if this was important enough for, you know, God to say it himself, Yeah, that was a fair thing, you know, that maybe, right, you know, th- there are always, you know, theologies, right, you know, where, you, where people, it's like, you know, the goal, you know, you, you have the obligation and the j- biggest gesture you can make is to, you know, is, is, to, is, to, is to forgo it or that you try to build towards a relationship, but you can say, no, actually, you know what, we like a world of obligation. And that's right, that's a fair response also, and that's just important to know, right, it's important to know that, right, that you, right, if this is right, that you could live otherwise, and you're making a choice to have world, right, to have a world of, of, of obligations, and you can't, and you don't, and you don't resent your parents for not, right, this, this is a two-way thing, right? right? If you don't, if you don't, right, if you don't, for, if you don't forgive it for your children, then you can't resent it that your parents haven't forgiven it, and you also have to beware of the other way, right? If you have forgiven it, right, of not necessarily generating resentment towards your parents, you have to understand it the other way. I think that's very important. Yes, Daniel? Uh, okay, yes, Rachel, yes. was deliberating about whether his father could really be mochal in his kavod, you know, uh, post-death, and whether Kaddish is really a function of kavod hamet and harim mm-hmm. to begin with. Um, so he decided to say Kaddish for Shloshim and not for the Yudbet Chodesh. Um, so it's a fascinating test case here. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, I think you know, after death is a particularly interesting, uh, interesting case of how, how the relationship should be sustained. Um, yeah, no, that, that's uh, that. Right, those are all those are all real shilos. Um, those are all real shilos. Um, Kaddish shilos are complicated. <laughs> yes. Then, yeah. This, the, you, you, might, you might have heard this, but apparently Rav Shachter is like surprised that not everyone's parent asked them to not say Kaddish for them before they died. Okay, I I, I can't <laughs> I can't. Uh, Which I was like, he was surprised. That's yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't speak to other people's surprise. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Yes, David. Both of these feel a little to me like I don't really want to have a relationship with you. Like, how how is that not what this would be? Right. So that's also right. That's a fair. You know, depriving people of a chance to carry out your will even after death. Right. Is right. That can that can be taken as a, you know as a slap. I want it, right? You know, that, that's a very risky, it's a careful thing. I have to be very careful about how relationships are framed that way. It might be that people, right, really, the idea of having obligations is really powerful for people and really meaningful. Uh, in, right, in the same way that we do think that having chiyuvim in relationship to God is, right, is really important. Um, unless we you know, accept certain kinds of theologies, right? So that's the right, whole, uh, 
that's a whole really powerful challenge. Okay, good. Yes. Yeah. Also, for pedagogical reasons, it might there might be some kind of a value in you know a parent not Okay, but now you're talking about children again, right? I'm, I'm trying to think about adults where, where pedagogy may be a little but bit... Even, even for, I mean, like, just like this idea of, like, there are people that are in charge and people that are less in charge. Maybe that's an important value. Okay, so that's very in Rambo. That's very in Rambo, right? That's right. Yeah. And for the Rambam, right, if everyone forgave their kavod, society would fall apart. That's a terrible thing. Right? And people feel that about things like, you know, you know the... Children calling parents by their first name, you know, at one point was one of the, the obvious you know, markers of a complete, the complete breakdown of the West. Yeah, they had happily been radically superseded by many other markers of complete breakdown of the West, but that was a... Uh, yes, right, that was a good one. And who knows where it would lead? Yes. Yeah, I think it's the Ibn Ezra who says on the Ma'an Yerikun Yimecha that unless you model to your children what to do, they won't know how to take care of you. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true also, right? You want to, you know, and... And it's, I think there, you know, there are risks in creating, there, there are real risks in removing obligation. It might be this is just, it might be that, you know, that Mark's entirely right, that we should treat this as a dangerous possibility, which at most should be used very, very carefully. Right? The Ramam has a very matun formulation, as right? the source too. The Ramam says, even though we've been commanded, and he has you know, this amazing, this you know, wildly in rhetoric that we'll talk about next time, which you know, seems to think that even when parents engage in abusive behavior, you should just say, well, God commanded me, and it has nothing to do with them. Um, right? So nonetheless, Rama says, Asur ulo al-banav It is forbidden to try to enforce your kavod um, with precision. You have, according to Ramam, you have lots of power, and you ought not to use it. was an interesting formulation, right? Because and this comes from the Gemara, which I, which I skipped for efficiency's sake, that the reason not to enforce it is because we, we are fully aware that people can't actually live according to law fully in their relationships. And so if you enforce in a real relationship all, you enforce everything that the law entitles to you, it's just not going to happen. All you're going to do is to cause the other person to sin because they won't live that way. Right? So that's a really interesting notion that there are limits, right? there are human limits to law. And if you keep doing this, you're going to cause the other people to stumble. Is it also a recognition that the parent-child relationship is, not, is mostly not a formal one? I don't know for the realm of that necessarily so. But maybe, you know, Maybe the physician side of him is recognizing what people are like. Right, so that may right that might very well be. Say, look, you know, the, you're trying to right. I, I, the Rambam, think that this is that all the obligations are framed in terms of social positions, but you don't really want to reduce people to their social positions, and you can't. Right, you can't reduce people to their social relations. Right, people are human beings have real relationships. Don't try. I think, right, I think that's a fair. Don't right. I set it up this way. That's what the obligations are about. But the obligations shouldn't wipe out all traces of the human relationship. In fact, they should mostly give way to the human relationships within, right, within reason. I think that's, that's right. Rather, you should forgive and look away from violations, presumably. Okay, but I think it's pretty clear that Ram doesn't think that you give a blanket, uh, right, a, bl- a blanket absolution for Kibbutz Avayim. He just thinks that, right, as Mark said, you should, you know, when things come up, you should look away. You shouldn't, right, you shouldn't spend your time uh, you um, insisting that people 
um, follow things. Now, part of the reason for that, I think, is the Sefer Chassidim picks up on the intent thing, and he says, you know what, when the Gemara says, that means all that means is that the, the obligations become unenforceable. But it doesn't mean the obligations don't exist, it just means that they're unenforceable. Right? So I think what the Sefer Chassidim is saying, it's very hard to parse for legally, it's just people don't really mean it. They don't really mean it. At the end of the day, this is a person who will be injured by your treating them without kavod. So what are you doing? Just because they said they forgive you. Um, okay, <coughs> right, then the Shiltot Rav Chaygon says, you know what, there, there also there are, there are boundaries. Right? Parents can forgive their honor, but they can't forgive striking them and cursing them. That, that goes too far. We don't, we don't give parents the power to forgive those sorts of things. Um, I, say, sorry, I, do, I do actually do have the Gemara, which says, you know, the reason for Lifna Iver is that you can't do things that will cause children to rebel, but that's a, like a very dicey thing. Um, you know, it's very, very hard for parents to know when trying to impose things will have a positive and negative respect. You could know, like, by the fifth time, right, you know, when you just ask the question, just, just you know, and you haven't gotten it last time, that the fifth time is excessive and you, should, you shouldn't impose things. But I think that the, line, that the boundary question is really complicated. Now, there are, in terms... In terms of um, other of other uh, issues, in terms of whether Rav can forgive his kavod, so the Achronim have very clear distinctions. Um, what seems to me is that this is one of the places where the word makle comes in useful. Right, it's pretty straightforward. Right, because you can say that the line between kavod and klala is that kavod is a positive commandment, then klala is a negative commandment. So you can forgive positive obligations and not negative obligations. And then we look and say, oh my goodness. There's a negative obligation we missed, which is much less serious than cursing. And right, and maybe right, uh, right, which is you know, which is making light, but not making terribly light, right? Klala without the intensifier makla. So it might be that um, that the parameter always is: is this just missing? You know, that you don't have an obligation. That I forgive you're not spending your time trying to figure out ways to prop me up, but you can never tear anyone down. Uh, right? That might be a line you can draw. There are people who try to say that this is true even of Yura, that you can't forgive Yura, you can only forgive Kavod. That seems difficult to sustain textually. Um, okay, and then we have the last line, which, um, the last sort of first two, which I think is really the ground of a lot of this, where we say halachically, parents can't tell you to violate God's commands. Which could be understood as saying that an all values conflicts between parents and children. Parents just have to, right, parents have, from the child's perspective, there is no argument the parent can make that causes them to give in. But obviously, the child believes that, that, right, that their values reflect God's will. And if the child, child says, well, I have my values and God has his values and my, or, or her values, whatever you want, right? And my values, right? And my values, my values are more powerful. So then the argument, ah, but God says you have to, right? That's not going to work at all, right? So, right? So the, um, right? So, right? So you could take this as just a, you know, a flat out statement that, you know, the rest of the sphere can just go away. Whenever there's a values conflict, you're supposed to train your children to prefer God's, right, God's, wish, God's wishes over your own. Um, so that's enough. On the other hand, 
maybe right, maybe part of kibbutz avayim is having deference about whether your parents, your parents' values are are in fact closer to God's, right, closer to God's than yours, and having some kind of, right, some kind of provisional notion. Maybe it's that we all agree that part of God's values are. Right is um, respect is respecting parents, and therefore there's a there's a weight on the scale. You have to be really really certain, or it has to be a really really powerful conflict. Maybe the goal is to navigate, and so what we want to do is let's say, you know what, if it's a direct stark conflict, then we have to do that. But whenever there's whenever there isn't a stark conflict, right, our goal our goal is always going to try to be to find a way to, to right, find a way to do both of them. And does Brian? Well, this I think gets back to one of your framing questions, but in reality, it's going to the parent will say. Uh, my interpretation of God's will is that my house is kosher enough. Why are you not eating that? Right, so that's an interesting framing, right? That's a really interesting framing. Like, let, let's take that as a useful case, right? Um, right. My, the child does not want to eat in the parent's house because they think the parent uh, um, use, a, use a heter that they ought not to be using. And what do we think of that? We could say that, you know what, well, my... God says that I'm right. God says I'm not allowed to, to, to do whatever, whatever, whatever you think it is, uh, eat gelatin. Right? God says I'm not supposed. God says I'm not, suppo- I'm not supposed. I'm not or, supposed or to. His or her rub says that we. Right, but let's just right. That's fine. That, that's how they get their God's values, right? But their value is I'm not supposed to eat gelatin, and my parents keep right. My parent, my, my parents, you know, insist on serving, uh, on serving whatever, right, whatever it is that that's gelatin, and the, you know, and. They say to me, you know what? If you don't, right, if you don't eat this, we will feel hurt. Uh, we'll feel hurt in two ways. We'll feel hurt because this is like the dish that you loved growing up, and now you're not now you're not eating it. And there's so much joy we used to get of eating of eating this, and now we're not getting that joy, and you're denying us that. So we want you to eat it with a smile. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> you always loved your cod liver oil when you were here. <laughs> 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 And uh, the second thing is, right, so, you know, and also we find it, you know, it's, we find this a rejection uh, of, of right of so much of, right, of so much that you know that you won't eat in our home. Um, right? now, you know, Deborah's father has a beautiful statement, which I think I'm allowed to quote. Right, that uh, I'd rather that my children wouldn't eat in my home than the other way around. Right, that's right. That's a right. That's a that's a, that's a really. A lot of parents don't feel that way. But a lot of parents don't feel that way. That's a very beautiful thing. That's very, I'm not getting the quote exactly. And for the record, he coshered the house. For me, <laughs> yes. No, I'm very grateful. It, I mean, not because it wasn't kosher before. And stuff on the Um. Right. So those are all. Um, and that, 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 so how are we supposed to navigate that? So one of navigating is say, look, this is a conflict of values, and we want everyone to stand firm on their values, and keep it up. Aim becomes irrelevant. You know, another way is to say, well, let's try and figure out like how much of value is, of this is mine. Right? You know, it, maybe this is something that I should do because it's right, because it's a shas hatak. Right? We treat the the conflict between kashrut and kibbutz avayim as a shas hatak, and so I can rely on positions I would not otherwise uh, I would otherwise rely on. We could say, you know, what I should do is I should right, I'll eat you know I'll eat such a small amount that right that you know that, that it doesn't that it, at least it's only a chazi shir. Um, Right, all right. There are all sorts. Of, you know, I'll pour, I'll pour Tabasco sauce over it, and make it edible. And that'll, <laughs> whatever sorts of things you want to, uh, you want, you know. But, but yeah. the halakha can't, you know, speak to what's the real source of those underlying, or often the real source of the underlying tensions. That you know, usually, you know, a child who's, ta- who's taken on a different lifestyle than the, than the parents, and the, there's angst on 
you know, perhaps angst on the parent's side and trying to pull, and want to try to force the child back into the sphere, or it's the child way saying, I am, you know, rejecting parts of how I was raised. Yeah, so it's also right that we have a therapeutic take on this, right? That you know that we really need to that this may not be the right issue at all. That may also affect which one is our goal to negotiate a way in which we can satisfy both values, or do we really need to express this? Is, you know, is one or the two of them really doing something wrong because they're using halakha as a, as a tool of power as opposed to thinking about what they really have to do, right? Those are all, right, those are all um, powerful questions. Um, as I said, I think, like, you know, interesting, but a, a very simple question is, is our goal to work it out? Or do we say, no, there's a conflict. When there's a conflict, there's no keep it up aim. God, right? God wins. Why would we tell you to try and work it out with your with your parents when that interferes with the relationship with God? Right? Those are all right. Those, right? Those are all. Um, uh, those are. I think those are all valid. Th okay, that's right. So I want to just frame that, and then let's take a look and see how it actually is framed. Because there will be, I will set out. I think some you know, some fairly extreme uh, versions that will shock Daniel. That I have really extreme versions in which right, in which all of the of him can in fact be wiped out by this. And uh, right, then we'll have to figure out how we are, uh, how we are supposed to navigate it now, now, once we know that we could, in fact, reach that result. Okay, so here's a, so, so there's a Gemara in Bav Metziah. The Gemara says that if heirs to, right, heirs to a uh, parent's estate, so we're dealing with after death, which may have its own, its own um, you know, effect, affecting things, but we're not doing that technically this week. And among your parents' effects are things that are obviously the product of violations of halakha that will cause them public dishonor, but which you have no formal obligation to return. All right, the, the specific example is they have a cow that they obtained, right, they obtained by, charging, by, by charging interest to fellow Jews, and we're working according to the position that, that money obtained by charging interest to fellow Jews, whatever, deraised rabbanan, the machloket, but there's, there are ways in which you can acquire property illegally halakhically, uh, and it's identifiable properties. Everybody can go down, can, everybody as you walk down the street leading this cow, everybody will say, ah, look, that's Bessie, that their parents charged me as, right, as, interest, as interest on my mortgage. Right? So your parents are being constantly re, right, re-criticized for their violations of halakha for being loan sharks. Um, but you have an obligation to return it, or do you? Right? So, the, um, so the Gemara says right, that in fact you have an obligation to return it. But the Gemara says, really? Right? Why would you have an obligation to return it? There's a verse which says, lo ta'or, and by some various kinds of halachic alchemy, we get that Pasuk to be talking about kibbut ava'im and not just about cursing, but about all aspects of kibbut ava'im. And we say that all aspects of kibbut ava'im, how that magic happens doesn't matter to us right now, and all aspects of kibbut ava'im are canceled uh, if people don't meet the standard of oseh ma'aseh amcha. That's been asi be'amcha lo ta'or. Yes, David. Question? Me? Yeah. No, although I am wondering, uh, I don't understand this thing about not cursing a Nazi. I, I'm, maybe I'm missing something, but what's that all about? Well, leave it be. It's mad. Pretend that instead of Nazi, it says parent, and instead of curse, it means, right, it means show kavod, right? The Gemara does magic with this, which we don't, we don't need to evolve right now. Okay. okay? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm frank. I'm not, I'm not you know, we're not going to, we're not going to, you know, on the equation, right, if I had the board up there, it would say, then a miracle occurs. <laughs> uh, okay, that's how, that's how we got that to happen. So the Gemara says, it seems that I have no obligation that if right, we have a standard for, right, a, a black and white standard for when Kibbut Av and all the obligations of Kibbut Av aim apply, because I can go on leading this cow even though it leads to my parents' constant humiliation. And that standard is, are my parents Oseim Ase Amcha? 
And so the Gemara says, yeah, must, or the Gemara says that that's true, right? There's no obligation so long as your parents haven't repented. If your parents repented and they didn't have time to return the cow, and then you have to return the cow for them because they deserve respect again because they repented. Okay, now this raises me to challenging questions. The, like, what is Osema Se'amchalek? Whoever heard of that, what does that standard mean? Right? It could be a very high standard, right? That as long as they're in good social standing, you have obligations, and it's only if they do things that completely remove them from society. That's a fair translation. Or it could be a very low standard. If they do anything that violates communal standards, even if it's perfectly halachic, uh, right? if they do something that violates my ethical sensibilities, then my obligation, then, right, then my obligation of kavod is canceled. And then the question is, is it canceled only with regard to this narrow thing? Do the children leading the cow down the street which, which says on it, Bessie, the cow obtained by my father, right, by, by interest, at the same time have to be saying Kaddish and putting up plaques in their, right, their parents' memory and such forth and like that, or they say no. Like, the fact that you obtained this cow by interest just means you're the kind of person who doesn't deserve any covet at all. Right, that would be really crazy, right? We put those two positions together. Any ethical violation means there's no obligation to the covet at all. So if a friend of yours drops off something that's stolen, you have an obligation to... Return. Yeah. It's not stolen because interest is this unique thing where it's oh, okay, right so where it right, it's wrongly obtained. Okay, so, so but that's the, that's yeah, that's why they use that case, right? They use that case because it's an example of something wrongfully obtained that nonetheless belongs to you because the wrong is not seen as illegal seizure. Um, okay, right. So that's uh, right. You know, that's you know the that's a position, right? You. Ah, yeah. Okay, I shouldn't. I should. It does. I did say so. I shouldn't have done, written that. Yeah, my fault. But uh, said it. Yeah, right. I'm confusing two cases. Leave it as ribbage for now. Leave, leave it as ribbage for now. Right? Because the Gemara has all Gemara complicates it. Leave, leave it as ribbage for now. It'll 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 solve the. It'll make it easier. Um, thank you though. That was sloppy of me. Okay, so let's imagine. Right, you're um, 15 years old. Your parents. Uh, your parents say to you. Um, you know, I really want you to, it's always comes back to me, I guess, right? Always, yeah, we'd really like you to go stand in line as soon as we walk into the grocery store and while we get stuff. <laughs> and you say, no, that's like, that's wrong. <laughs> and they say, no, you have to do that. And, right, and, you know, and there's a big blow up and you walk out of the store. And now it's 20 years later and, you know, and your parents are asking you for something perfectly reasonable. Uh, you know, within the, within the realm of kavod, right, you know, will you please accompany me to this dinner, right, that's the case we dealt with in SPM. And you look at them and you say, you know, do you regret having asked me to stand in line at the supermarket? <laughs> they say, no, we do it again. Well, <laughs> you're still, you still have the triva, you're still on the same masse, no kavod whatsoever. Uh, maybe? Okay, so we have, right, we have a couple of, um, yeah, the Ramam goes to goes to the uh, the Ramam goes to the extreme one way. The Ramam says, "Amamzer is chayav bichvod aviv umorao." Even though Amamzer obviously has a right has a, has parents who committed adultery, or incest, or incest. Athol uh, pees. He's interesting. It's true, patur al makatov It goes the other way. So the there are no there are no obli- there are no liabilities for cursing or striking them, but Ordinary kavod, that's still an obligation. Afilu, and the Ramah goes for that. Even if your parents are terrible people, the obligation of kavod, says the Ramah, is unaffected. 
Okay, because the Ram is consistent, the Shitato, the Ram thinks that the goal of honoring parents is to sustain a certain kind of social order. And so it, you can imagine perfect sense for the Ram that it makes sense. There are people you can slap in the face. No, but you don't sit in his chair while you do it. But you don't sit in his chair while you do it. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. Or at least we won't, we, right, we won't punish you for slapping his face. Right? We might discourage you, right? Because that's fine. Because you're slapping his face, you're saying you're a terrible person. When you sit in their chair, you're saying that I don't have an obligation. I don't have an obligation. I, I don't have an obligation to honor parents. Those are two distinct. Those are two distinguishable things for the Rambam. On the other hand, the Torah says, Rambam But I, the Torah, and I. Well, I blew that line. The Torah. The, the Torah says I, and that line should still be there. Um, that the. Um, I just cut out that line. That's terrible. The Torah disagrees with the Rambam forcefully and says, no, there's no obligation of kavod towards the Rasha. A mom's there is no obligation of kavod towards his parents unless his parents do tshuva. Okay, I apologize. That should be, the, it should be there in the Torah. Okay, but that's a fairly moderate claim. Right? Just merely, if your parents are really terrible people and they've committed a capital crime that has, right, that has made you unmarriageable in the community, so that, right, or if your parents, right, your parents are generally terrible people, then you still have an obligation towards kavod to them. Right? That doesn't, that doesn't, that's not talking about osei ma'asei amcha. That's not talking about, that's not talking about um, taking one minor sin and saying, right, because you never repented of it, that you don't get kavod forever. But the standard starts moving. The Rush says the following story. You have a father who commanded his son not to talk, speak with a particular Jew, and not to forgive him what he had done until a set time, but the son wants to make peace with him. And the father, right, the father says, nope, you're not allowed to make up with him until next week. I don't know why I always have suspicions that there's some kind of commercial motive. That the father thinks he has some kind of hold on the other party until then, and the son says, "But I feel really bad. You know, I don't really. I don't. I mean, you know, we're, I'm angry. I'm acting to this person if I'm angry with them, and and why should I? So, so the son comes to ask the rush, and the rush says, "It's forbidden to hate any Jew. So when your father tells you not to act as if this person is your friend, your father is not osei masei amcha." Okay, so we're stretching the category of God's command here. Because right? he's not really telling you to hate the other person. He's telling you to act as if you hate the other person. So maybe the mitzvah, the hatlerachah kamocha, means you have to act as if you love old Jews. And this person has done anything wrong enough. Right? So we certainly extended it from the realm of technical violations to the realm of ethical disagreement. But okay, right? So you need not give him kavod. So that, all that means is you don't have to listen to him. And it's not clear whether obedience is part of kavod anyway. Right? So to the extent that obedience is part of kavod, which I think for everyone but the Sefer Chassidim means that obedience is part of kavod insofar as obedience gives your parents a certain sense of pleasure or social, or social distinction. So, you can, right? so in this case, you don't have to give them that. But that's only if all the rush means is that because of Osei Ma'asem Chai, you don't have to listen to this. But there's another response for the rush um, where the Right, where a um, where an older brother right is right is, is um, humiliating his younger brother who learns better, and so the younger brother puts the older brother in cherem, uh, and the question is right the question is does that work, and the answer to the rush says is yes. It works. You can put somebody in cherem. Because he's not osei ma'ase amcha. So you could still say, okay, you're putting him in cherem for that single violation, but putting him in cherem is about as total a breach of kavod as it gets, I would think. It, right, it, it, it cancels all obligations, so it sounds like the rush thinks that if somebody's not osei ma'ase amcha, 
that there are no obligations of kavod at all. Um, the Piske Riyaz says, you know what, and it's not just when there's a direct conflict. So the, con- the conflict in the, the conflict in the Breita is your parents say, right, your parents say to a Kohen, go get me that thing from a cemetery, and God said, Kohen, you're not allowed to go into a cemetery, so you have a direct conflict. But the, um, but the Piske Riyaz says the following. Ordinarily, what we say in such circumstances, technically, is if there's a mitzvah to do, right, you know, somebody needs, somebody needs to, um, I don't know what would be a, you know, so there's some public myth somebody needs to, to I don't know, I'm trying to think like what mitzvah needs to be in Saka, okay, right? You need somebody needs to get Saka. And your parents instead say, I don't want you to, I don't want you to wander around delivering meals for wheels, right? I want you instead to stay home and uh, and clear the dishes. So we say, look, it depends. If somebody else can deliver the saka, so you tell somebody else to deliver the to the right to deliver the meals and you and you and you and you clear the dishes, right? That's the normal way of settling conflicts like that. The Piscaria says the following. So he takes the absolute extreme version. He says that as long as your parents, as long as you perceive your parents' intent as putting themselves above God, even if you, in fact, you have a way of right, <coughs> handling both, you need not take both. Because Kibbutz aim is just a reflection of the honor of God, and so if your parents are in fact putting themselves above God, then you have no right. Then you have right. Then you that right. Then you should chayav l'halchiach et aviv derech kavod. So the first thing you should do is try is, is give your parents musar. But they don't pretend. That's it. Right? Even though there's no, you you could find a way to do both, but you shouldn't. Okay, that's a pretty extreme. Yeah. So that's it. Why is it interpreted that parents Because in this case, right, you know, we have a we have a we have a past idea of the child. We're assuming the child is reasonable, and there's a pattern. You know, parents always ask me to go right to go move something muksa right right during right, 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 so, right. The parents always my parents are always pushing the margins, right? They always bring home the hechsher, right? The hechsher that, that I really don't like eating, and they're doing it, right? They're doing it because they're pushing the margins, and, and it's, maybe they're right because you're being too. Okay, good. So you're right. Maybe the parent is right. They're saying you are like being, you know, going off, you know, going over the edge, and we're trying to bring you back. Okay, so that's you, but the Riaz doesn't agree with you. You don't have to agree with the Riaz. But the Riaz thinks no. The Riaz thinks that parents have, the children have a right at some point to say, you know, they don't, we don't always say that the obligation towards your parents stays in place and try to find a way to do both. There's a point at which you can say, you know what, you're being very clever. But, how, but the, the Riaz implicitly saying, well, it's not the case where the child always seems to say, oh, I got million to go to. I can't do. I can't. That would all. That would also. Be, go that would also be cheating. I, I go, well, but it, that, that, could, that could also be the, what's going on behind. Yeah, in that case, the children, right? You should tell the the children you're cheating. The parents should tell the children, like you know, you're cheating, and okay. you know, but the parents, but it's the child's obligation. 
the parent should tell the child you're cheating. You know, and this is, might be a case where we don't think you're allowed to cheat, as opposed to, I do think, right, when the king commands you, you're allowed to cheat. And say, you know, I just joined a call, I'm learning full time, I'm sorry, I don't have time to go to the army. Uh, if, you think the war is, if you think the war is unjust. Right? I think the Raman builds that in as a, a way of draft dodging. You're doing mitzvah 24 hours a day. Exposed to popular culture by John the idea. <laughs> uh, that's a, I think you have to think the war is unjust. Yes, Deborah? says there's something I need you to do at 6.45 in the morning every day that it, even if they legitimately have something that he's doing at 6.45 in the morning because it will train you out of going to Minyan you don't have to do it or is the rest saying if your parents are manufacturing things for you to do because that's when Minyan is because they don't want you to go to Minyan then you don't like, your parents have to be aware your parents have to be aware that they're doing it right it's intent your parents have to be aware um, I think that's right. He's not, he's, not ta- he's, not, he's not claiming that it because it, it, happens to, it happens to be, it happens to be. But if your parents are aware and, you know, and they have some other way of doing it and they choose not to, right? And what happens if your parents are aware and they say, you know, and, but nonetheless, they are saying, right? You know, that's, that's a complicated question. You know, all, all I think the reality says is that, you know, is that there's no presumption that the goal is always to work it out. Right? There is a point at which you can say, you know what, there is a... Con- now that builds on a model where the whole purpose of Kibbut Ava'emi says it. The whole purpose of Kibbut Ava'emi is in order to fulfill your Creator's will. And ironically, it probably works only in a Rambam model. In a gratitude model, you have gratitude. Right? Right, so, right, so, that, right, so, yeah, right, so, right, so you can distinguish that way. Okay, the last case, um, famously, is a... Um, is a maharik in which he's talking about whether parents have the right to tell children whom not to marry. Uh, this really is about a son, but almost all postkim think that the identical thing is true of, of daughters. Uh, and in practice, there are many ways in which you can get the same result for daughters, even if you think that the halachic means isn't exactly the same. Um, so maharik says, maharik gives all sorts of interesting and powerful reasons about why kibbalah aim doesn't apply. But the one that matters to us is the values conflict one, which where he sets up an amazing thing. He says, look, Chazal say that men aren't allowed to marry women without seeing them first. Why would they say that? It must be because they think it's very important that men love their wives. Why would they say that? Obviously only because they, all, because they are being deeply rooted in Torah. They must think that's the key of the Haftal Reach Kamocha. Okay, since, right, since, since uh, Chazal said that uh, that, see, that, that seeing that seeing your wife in advance is right, creates right, is a deal right right now is fulfillment of the values of Kamocha. We can say not only that it must be that Chazal want you to love your wife as much as you could possibly love anybody. And therefore, if your parents create a situation where you might have to marry your second choice, even if right, even if you have seen your second choice and think it's perfectly acceptable. But just marrying your second, nobody will ever really love their second choice the way they should. And so therefore, if, 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 therefore, if your parents prevent you from marrying somebody now, right, therefore, right, then they are in violation of the Haftal Recha Kamocha, and tough. They're not Osei Masei Amcha, because he says the standard is a Nidnud Avera. Right, you know, the, the, right, the smallest possible point of sin is sufficient to generate a conflict. That's a pretty, right, you know, that, like that ending, right, like, you know, right, that, that we have essentially no formal standard 
Right? We can claim that the right, that that if you're that, that a an obligation to keep it of aim is terminated, maybe terminated universally or terminated, maybe terminated only for this thing, because right, we can construct a way in which what your parents do is a violation of halacha, even though it'd be a very hard to make the argument. That's pretty that's pretty extreme. That's pretty extreme. Um, now, all of us understand that there are times when the reason parents do this is not because of their kavod. You know, they do it because that's really the because the child is wrong about whom they have to marry. Uh, right? You know, I have talked about several times this year about a family, an intervention in my family, uh, in which somebody, in which um, a chatan gave. Uh, you know, a, a speech at the Vort that really seemed to set the person up as uh, dangerously controlling. It was a speech about obligations of the wife toward the husband. And there was a mass family intervention where, you know, where basically all my all relatives said, we're not going to this wedding. And the wedding was called off, and thank God. You know, and the person remarried remarried somebody else, and it was full came of the Kamocha. Uh, all right, all, all right, all, all well done. There are times when you do that. There are, times, there are certainly times when you do that. Um, so what I'm interested in is less the specific case of the Marik, for which he has many other arguments, right? Um, and probably the, you know, the, the correct answer and the outcome is, of course, parents have a right to express an opinion, but they'd be, but it's not usually not a good idea to say that you have to choose your kavod for us over your choice, right? You have to find a way to say, like, we really think this is a bad choice. Um, and whether, 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 whether you're entitled to say you also have to think about the effect on us is a more complicated um, question. Um, but he seems to set up a standard where it's really just a value of conflict that has nothing to do with halacha. Right, that's it, right, that's, that's, right, that's, just, uh, that's what he sets up. So I want to like, hold on, I think you can make a, a, a clear halachic argument that in values conflicts between parents and children, it is always possible for children to make the argument that kibbutz avayim does not override their values. The question is whether they ought to make the argument. Um, right? I think that's right. That's that's the, the underlying question. Yes, there. It seems to me that the Mari Kolon could be extended to almost any decision your parents mm-hmm. want you to do differently. Mm-hmm. Right? My mother or my father wants me to go to brunch with him at a time when I was otherwise going to go out for coffee with my friend. And now if I don't go out for coffee with my friend, maybe I won't be as close as her as I would have been otherwise. And now I won't have the full fulfillment of the Hafalarecha Kamocha with the person who could have been my best friend, but will now be my second best friend because I missed an opportunity to drink coffee with her on a Sunday. Like, you could do that with any yeah. thing your parents ask you to do. You could. This is um, an elephant gun <laughs> being used to kill a squirrel. Uh, I mean, the squirrel doesn't survive. <laughs> 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 I think that's Not a, much else. <laughs> there might be some collateral damage. Also, for the record, the Torah would be perfectly happy with you being married to your first choice, your second choice, your third choice, your fourth choice, and your fifth choice all simultaneously. It is. So it, right. you can't be that attached <laughs> to you only marrying your first choice. Interesting argument. They argue that that's really why Chazal you know, drove us towards monogamy. Interesting claim. Yes, Rachel. I just think that um, this is a lot about um, for the child in a or for the yeah in a value conflict. Um, but to me, like what's been in my head the whole time is cases. Uh, it's just that 
it's really easy to burn bridges between parents and children. And like, in my experience, Dafka sometimes, like the halakha of M allows you to stay, like to keep the relationship. And like, this feels like a very easy way to like, get rid of the relationship. And like, I know in my family, there were like some really not good relationships and like, people did eat food that they didn't think was kosher um, because that was the way to continue speaking with their parent and to not like burn a bridge. And so I think it's a little dangerous and like I wonder how halakha, like how this way of seeing it makes her, especially you talk about a 15 year old, like it's so easy to burn a bridge when you're 15 and it's mm-hmm. and it stays and like you can still burn bridges when you're 40 um, and like, I, I, yeah, I just think it's dangerous. Yeah, so I think that's right. That's right. So I think that that is a, uh, uh, I think that, you know, what, what I want to, what I want to put out, right, you know, is that I think, yeah, I guess, you know, what I would tend to say is that what one learns from the overall framing of it, and, you know, and always a you know, risk when you put the full halakha out in front of everybody, right, when you can't control information anymore, you know, because you can say, look, these are the, you know, the, the way, uh, in some societies, you know, Chatan and Kala classes are taught from exactly opposite perspectives, um, right? Everyone, you know, and that's a reasonable thing. Let's teach, teach, right? teach all wives that you're supposed to, to, you're supposed to do everything your husband says, and teach all husbands you're supposed to do everything your wife says, and let them go through life, you know, and uh, and work it out, right? That's not an unreasonable way to set things up if you know if you can figure out what happens when they compare notes. Um, but so you tell the parents, you know, don't be so harsh on the children. And yeah, right. Right. Those are those are right. You can you can frame it that way. You know, so I, I thought last week. You know, I, I'm amused by the Gemara, which says, "Well, who who do we who do we um, who pays the expenses of kavod, the parent or the child?" And the answer is the parent. But the Gemara says we're not sure whether we paskin that for a parent or a child. We don't know which one of them asked the question. It could be we. Right, it could be we paskin through Yirmiya. It could be paskin for Brader of Yirmiya, right, Rabbi's son. And I think that from a narrative perspective, it makes a big difference who asked the question. Uh, even though yeah, halacha tends to read that text flat and not be interested in the um, in the outcome. So yeah, I guess you know, for me, I think what I would probably take as you know as an underlying thing is that halacha understands that power is rarely the right way to resolve values conflicts, and so it does is it creates all right. If it comes down to a matter of law. Right where uh, right where somebody tries to enforce their values over somebody else, everybody should be aware that it, that if it's perceived as a conflict of values, right? If you come to court and it's right, and what becomes clear is either that is either is you know is that uh, parents want to inf- use kibbutz avaim to enforce their values on their children, you're going to lose. Right? I think I think that's a, and that you know and that in the best case scenario, children would be aware. That parents don't have the legal right to enforce values on them, but then that should create a okay. But anything short of that, right? You know, so you have to say maybe it's, maybe this is not about enforcing values. Maybe this is really about what pro- the proper relationship is. Um, but that that kind of conversation is um, is best undertaken in the awareness of both by both sides. That if it really is a values conflict, that that right, that law is not the right way to resolve that. 
Um, right? That's probably the way I would like to emerge from that. But you can end up, you know, you you could end up with a much more you know, nuanced and sophisticated claim that say, you know, you know, maybe we have we have much higher standards for perceiving it as a values conflict if the cost is a violation of parents' of parents' dignity and not just a failure to uphold their dignity, and certainly much worse if you're going to end up, you know, doing things that um, that actually that actively right, actively diminish their social position. Right? There are all sorts of ways to integrate it uh, integrate it through. Uh, I think that would be, you know, like the the year project would be to try and, you know, construct a a, f a full taxonomy of values conflicts and what what the presumptions have to be on each way, uh, right? And so every so each side, parents and children have a decision tree, and from a therapeutic method, right, really one is a you know is a book that both sides can consult and say, oh well, I need to ask myself this question, I need to ask you this question, right? And then with, and part of that may you discover, oh. I see why you're doing that. You're doing that because you saw this as an attempt on my part to impose my values over your perception of God's will. But that's not what it's about at all, right? It's really, right, it's really about because this is right. This is what I think is best for you, and then you can have a real conversation. So you could translate this into, I think, a helpful therapeutic uh, framework if you, all right, if you wanted to. Uh, that tends not to be my uh, right, my specialty. Um, what I what I was just saying is, you know, that I think it is a useful framework to understand. Because I think there are certainly cases, you know, I, um, when I gave versions of the shir, so I say people always come up to me after the shir to tell me that I've relieved them of years and years of guilt. <laughs> um, because there are people who use halacha as, right, as excuses for power. We'll talk about that in much worse cases next week in terms of abuse, but people just in, ter you know, just in terms of values, right, but you have to be the person I want you to be. Uh, right, because of that. So I think that it is, it is um, worthwhile to understand that the formal halakha does not actually grant parents that power, and that you can see lots of poskim who you know, are not 21st century liberals, uh, right, when confronted by that question, um, doing something that looks a lot like valuing autonomy. Um, and right, and then that, that's, a, that's an important thing to know, and then figure out how, how we do that and whether whether halakha is going to be better than uh, the contemporary West at, you know, at, at suffering all the consequences uh, when you make this public. You explicitly say that, you know, when, when, you, when you sing the times are changing. Whether you can maintain the thing the Ramam thought was essential to, 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 to sustain in terms, of social, in terms of some kind of social order without, uh, right, while being biased towards preventing abuses of power in this regard, more than uh, right, more more right above and above preventing people from engaging in uh, self self in self-interested rebellion. Right, that's a big challenge. All right, thank you very much. Um.